You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Well, welcome again, everyone. Um, Michelle and John Tucker, can you or can you help me with these? If you don't have a, a, a booklet because you weren't here last week, perhaps, um, we have more copies of this. You're going to need this. Um, last week, we went through um, the first part of this, sessions, session one. Um, there's some session two spaces in here that we're going to work through today. Um, this is a great uh, place to take notes. We have pens that we can hand out to you as well. Um, as we teach through this, please take notes. And what, what I'd like for you to do with this is take this home. Um, there's some good reference material. So for instance, when we're done today, I'm gonna to talk about what are our next steps for membership, like what's next for you? How, how do I, who do I contact? What do I pray about? Um, the actual membership commitment that we're gonna talk about today is in here as well, as well as some other nifty information like um, the, the church calendar, how does seasons, how does time work as a church community? Um, you can find an explanation of what's, what to expect throughout the year, what huge parties that you definitely don't want to miss out on throughout the year. Uh, like, for instance, what are we doing for Christmas? That's on here. And uh, how we're organized. So if you've seen a lot of faces, a lot of leaders at Res, and you want to know, okay, as a member, I want to know how this thing works. Who's in charge of what? Um, this is a, a colorful little org chart that we have for our staff that we slapped in here so you can see, as well as some contact information for um, clergy and leaders uh, and our senior warden on our vestry and our treasurer as well. So, and then on the back, there's some information about how you can give on at res, why we give and ways you can give. And check this out. We're like super high tech. You can now text give, whatever that means. You can like text numbers to a number and somehow money shows up in res's bank account, which is pretty rad. So all that uh, information, all that science is back here. Yeah, raise your hand if you need a booklet and John will make his way around and hand you one. Oh, sorry. Let me get this out of your way. You can have a sticker. Oh, and one more thing before I forget. Um, next week's class, when we start catechism, uh, if, you're ch if you have a child who is interested in adult catechism, like if they're thir 12, 13 or something like that, and, they're, and you think, you know what, this would be good for them to sit in on Engage, we totally want your children in here. Um, the reason we uh, have childcare and games and food for our kids is because they had a catechism earlier and we wanna just let them be kids and play while we uh, do theology together here. But if you have kids that are interested in this, they're totally welcome to join us. Um, any other housekeeping things that we need to know about? Okay, I wanna begin first uh, with just a question. Were there any questions or thoughts from last week? We talked about the vision, life together in the goodness of God. We talked about rooted, sacred kingdom community as our values. Um, so we kind of explored that. Is there any follow-up questions that we need to address before we get rolling with session two here? Any thoughts? I did, I, Drew did email me about 90 questions. Um, and it was really engaging. I, I appreciate it. I learned from it. So there's your example, people. If you have questions, you can email me as well. My email address is on the back of this or Father Perry or any of our leaders. We're happy to follow up with you about that. And actually, I really appreciate that, Drew, because um, what that demonstrates when we have questions is that we're processing this. We're discerning. We're like actively kind of sifting through this for ourselves and figuring out what it means to be a member at Res. So I encourage that. Please do that if you have any questions. Okay. Let's begin our, our second session then. So um, just to reiterate, membership at Res and this whole class isn't so much um, catechism as much as it is, and it is catechism in some ways, but it's really discernment. And I hope that for you sitting in this environment, sitting in kind of a class shape, um, you can kind of shake off maybe some of the, the, the preconceived notions about what class means and actually really understand this as, as a very prayerful, very careful, very um, thoughtful engagement of discernment of God's call. Is God inviting me to be a member of res? Is this where he is inviting me to belong? I think membership can actually be a really helpful step in discipleship, wherever you are in your Christian journey, to belong to a community. Um, that can be kind of a daunting thing. It can be kind of scary. Uh, to, to commit to yourself to somebody else. Um, but I, I really want us to, to spend our time here together thinking about this through that lens of like, God, is this where you're inviting me to belong? Is this home for me? 
Um, and I'll talk more about what that means. How, how do we discern those next steps together? Okay. Um, so last week we talked about the vision. Does anyone know the vision? It's in your booklets. But can anyone tell me the vision from last week? What's the vision at res? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, what? Of God. Of God. Life together in the goodness of God. Can anyone tell me like the four values that we use to talk about what, what makes us tick at res? Yeah, rooted, sacred. Kingdom. Kingdom. That's a big one. Don't forget that one. Community. And by the way, that's in your booklet too. If you forget, you can cheat and look. Yes. How do we, ma- what do you mean by that, Ewing? Hey, and by the way, were you here last week? You were? Okay, sorry, I forget. So you have a question about last week then? That's fair enough, right? Yeah. What do you think, Ewing? Yeah. I think it looks really simple, really plain, doesn't it? I think it looks like, for instance, our table group life. It's a really good example of embodying the kingdom, opening our doors to our neighbors, actually getting to know our neighbors' names which is like not the cultural norm in most of the United States suburb life, right? So to go and knock on their door and introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm here for you. You need something? I see you're moving in. Um, to that kind of hospitality, I think, can be really plain ways of demonstrating the kingdom. Um, especially like if you're in my neighborhood, there are um, people put the signs on their lawn about like what propositions or what political parties, you know, that kind of thing. You'll see that as you drive around and it's pretty diverse. So I asked myself the question driving home, like, what is it? how do I embody the kingdom in a place that's like really divided on certain things? Um, how do I create bridges? How do I build relationships? What does it look like to be like to participate with God's grace? I think it looks different in every neighborhood. There's some parts that are totally consistent, but I think it, it, it requires some nuance. It requires a little bit of our own discernment, I think. As a community though, so personally, as a community, I think that embodying the kingdom looks like um, what we might call um, missionary activity even or missions, or being missional, and that is uh, living a life for the sake of others, um, communicating the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom, but also becoming the kinds of people. And what we mean by embody the kingdom is while we talk about the kingdom, while we announce it, we also want to become those kinds of people as well. So we want the message to be a whole message of our lives, not only individually, but even as a community. Like today in the sermon, I'm talking about what does it look like when a community embodies a belief in the grace of God? What could that possibly look like? Um, we, we want to become those people, not just um, uh, like pressure each other into managing sin or behaving a certain way. We, we, we genuinely, from the inside out, want to become a gracious people, not just mimicking grace, but becoming gracious. Does that make sense? So I don't know exactly how that works out, but I think, um, I think it certainly looks like hospitality. It looks like mission work. I think it looks like um, serving uh, these, these organizations that we have, I could tell you about, even in our neighborhood that our church gives to and serves at. Um, but, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this. I think there's much of that yet to be discovered for our church. I think where we are in our infancy, there's a lot there still to be shaken out. So I think it's a really good question. No, I, I, I love it. Thanks, Ewing. Any other questions like that? No? Okay. Good. Okay. What kinds of people are we becoming? Um, this is what I want to, this is like, I think the key question in this, the, this mission statement that we have at Res, which is practicing our faith in a way that changes us and benefits others. I think at the heart of that, if I could say it another way would be what kinds of people are we becoming? The way we go about something actually matters. So it's not good enough actually for our church to write a big check to an organization or to um, like um, say something really kind publicly and, and not publicly, privately as a community, we're like a really rotten, ingrown, unhealthy community. That's not the point, right? That's not good enough. 
the way we go about doing things um, is a reflection of who we are. And we want to go about doing things in such a way that shapes who we are. We want to become a certain kind of people. This is discipleship. This is spiritual formation that I'm talking about here. So when I say practicing our faith in a way that changes us, what I'm talking about is um, the way we use our bodies, the way we use our time, the way we relate to one another. It's not just like external activity, external practices, but they're actually um, liturgies, habits, rituals that we get into that actually have an effect on our heart. The things we love, the people we love, the way we treat others. For instance, if I can just like give you a good example of this, I think this is really profound. Um, for some, it may be really bizarre looking up at the altar and seeing all these acolytes or priests or deacons or whoever um, bowing and taking super delicate care to linens and chalices and all these beautiful things. Someone might look at that and go, that seems kind of pretentious or stuffy or like, I don't know, traditional or I don't know, I just don't like it. That's just weird. Um, that's okay. It can be strange. Here's what I love about that. And this is why, for me, this is the big motivation why we take such care. Because if we can take and learn to take care of Christ's body where he declares himself to be, then we can turn into the world and take care of Christ's body where he declares himself to be. John Chrysostom said, hey, well, I'll paraphrase him if I can because I don't have the quote right in front of me. But he says, God doesn't ask us for golden chalices. He asks us for golden souls. If you want to care for him, don't, don't not only care for him at the altar in the sacrament, but care for him when she's naked and cold lying on the steps of the church. So, the, so you see what I'm saying? The way we go about worship, the way we go about the liturgy, it is actually forming something in us. It's, we're practicing something and it's shaping the kinds of people we're becoming. So what kinds of practices shape a people who have faith? What kind of practices shape a people who are full of grace what kind of practices uh, shape a people who are ready to forgive and reconcile and make things right with other people? That's the question at the heart of this mission statement, which is practicing our faith in a way that changes us and benefits others. We want to become a kind of people who are capable of recognizing God's activity in the world and then jumping in, getting in on it. Um, to go back to this. And again, worship, this isn't, liturgy like isn't the style for us. There's like so much meaning and content behind it. If um, we're gonna do a liturgy tour coming up, you should participate. So I won't do it all today, but um, just as another example, um, becoming the kinds of people who can recognize the activity of God. Listen to this, this is a trip. If Jesus says, this is my body, this is my body, this is my blood, and we can't recognize him there, we're gonna have a hard time recognizing him anywhere else, I think. So can you see how when you step into the aisle and you bow and you come to receive Eucharist and you say, Lord, I don't know how this is, but you say, this is your body. You said, this is your blood. And when people said, yeah, right, you can't, we can't, this can't be your flesh. This can't be your blood. He said, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So he doesn't let us off the hook. We don't know how it's all going down. This is a great mystery to us Anglicans, but if we can learn to recognize with our bodies, with our hearts, with our faith, where he's declared himself to be, we might stand a chance recognizing the activity of God elsewhere in the world and participating in it. Does that make sense? Our liturgy is actually forming us into a kind of people. If we're awake to it, we can like work with it. We can become those people. Our vision, our taste, our body can be subjected to these practices that make a people of God. And that's what we're after. Okay, so this is what's behind practicing our faith in a way that changes us and benefits others. Um, I wanna show you all, uh, let me pause there actually for some questions. Does anyone have any thoughts about that? Maybe some stories or reflections of maybe you haven't been a part of this church, you become a part of this church. How has taking on different practices changed you? Have you noticed, in fact, any changes? Can we think about that for a second? Kelsey. Totally. I, yeah. Thanks, Kelsey. Anybody else? Steven.
Man. That's great. Totally. Yeah. I've heard Mother Teresa instruct her sisters too. Um, we're not social workers. When you're pulling worms out of a leg, you're pulling worms out of the leg of Christ. She said, um, and I have this, I think, memorized. Recognize Christ in all his, of his distressing disguises, especially in the poor. There's something, she had something going on. She had it right. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. It's a great example. Like perfect theology doesn't bring us to the altar, right? Because if it did, none, none of us would be there. And in another, you know, another reason why we do that, if, if you all have noticed, we commune uh, children, is because uh, one of the most perplexing challenges that the church has is that when kids turn 18, they go to college and leave their faith behind. And they're wondering, how, do we, how did we lose our kids? And when we look back and we see that, well, we put our kids in like another room and like it's been Disneyland for them. And then when they come back into like big church, um, they, they're, they don't know what to make of it. This faith hasn't become their own. And we say, why aren't you part of us? Well, the entire childhood, we've said to them, you're not part of us until fill in the blank. And so we wanna actually kind of straighten that out. We wanna make it coherent. God has given us children We've, we've welcomed them through baptism and they're incorporated into the worship life of the church, receiving this grace of God that they would someday, just like us, come to a fuller understanding of Christ's presence and take that faith, that, that, that relationship with Christ and make it their own as well, like we, like we do. Okay. Any other questions about practices? Yeah, Stephen. Not a question, I want to throw something out there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what we did is we just changed up the order of the same songs and made it sound original for us. Uh, but I will say the thing that has made it so wonderful to me, uh, some of y'all know that my daughter is disabled, and a lot of the practices I do with her is all That's really, that's really good, Stephen. Thank you for sharing that. I had not known that about, about Hazel. I mean, that, that, the repetition, the role of repetition, and that's really incredible. Thanks for sharing that. Pam? So glad you're here today, Pam. Thanks for being here.
Absolutely. It affects us. It changes us. It does something to us. Well, so here's the question then. What kind of practices does a community take on to make it a kingdom community, like a a church, to make it itself? What are those kinds of practices? Well, um, there's... This is a huge question, and I'm going to try and answer this with some, like, big, beautiful pictures because they're, they're pretty big categories. Um, in your booklet, if you flip over to, there's no page number, but the second session two page, you'll see these kind of um, in, uh, circles connected. And what I want to do is talk about how the community is taking on um, practices that change us and benefit others. And then I want to talk about it on an individual basis, you in particular, okay? So... Um, we have three classes at Res. The first one is Belong, where we talk about uh, basically welcoming, you, you, welcoming people into the life at resurrection, um, giving people an orientation to the gospel. Who is Jesus? What is the gospel? What does it mean to be saved? What is Anglicanism all about? That's the first um, trimester of classes. The second trimester of classes is Believe, where we go into um, understanding the sacraments, the creeds, the scriptures. We're, we're like really leaning into how do we believe? What is it that we believe and how do we believe it? And then the last one is we've, we've turned it become um, because we're talking about what it looks like to mature in the gospel. What does it look like to have ongoing growth in Christ and formation in Christ? What does it look like for us to then turn our lives outward for the life of the world and do things that actually like it, are benefiting other people? How does the kingdom through us benefit other people? So that's kind of the way our trimesters are laid out. Belong, um, believe and become. And now, uh, this is really convenient because the three major areas of the ways that we are forming our community, like if you say, Sean, what are the practices that we're taking on that change us and benefit others? I, I'm going to say, well, they fall into three major, three major categories. The first one is hospitality. Um, our presence in the neighborhood. Um, what, how are we hospitable to our neighbors in this neighborhood? How do we um, spend ourselves for their sake? What causes are nearby that we should be participating in and serving? How do we welcome people into our church? And you guys, Rez is super good at this. We have like a natural gift of hospitality. Like what Pam was saying, when people come, they get greeted like a zillion times and they can't slide out without being thanked or loved on a little bit. We have, you guys are really, really good at hospitality. And I always want to protect that and continue to cultivate that culture as normative here at Res. Um, That's kind of our front porch of the church, right? Is that culture of hospitality. We have table groups. This is another front porch of Res, how we welcome people into our life. We have open table groups. Um, Not all of them are open and that's fine, but we do have table groups that are wide open for people to jump in and find a place to belong. That is a profound ministry in a community that is so isolated and everybody's siloed out. You get in your car in your driveway, you drive to work, you sit in your cubicle, you get back in your car, come back in your driveway, close the door, and there's your life. So welcoming people into our homes through table groups can be a really profound hospitality of the gospel. Um, even people at, at the church, folks can come to Res and hear the scriptures being taught. They can participate in, in hearing the gospel, participating in the prayers. Um, they're invited to belong and to worship with us. All of these kind of different aspects, there's more to it. This, this brings about, uh, this is identifying this first major area of hospitality that our church has. We want to have practices that make us a hospitable people. So the way that people serve on Sunday morning, the way that we do table groups, the way that we live our lives, I want us to ask the question, what practices are in place there that are creating hospitable people? How do we welcome people into the household of God? Okay, you with me? Second one, celebration. This middle circle. Again, as a community, how are we, um, how are we taking on practices that, that celebrate the gospel? Receiving the sacraments, studying scriptures, learning the creeds, hearing sermons, learning to pray, learning feast days and partying hard, deepening uh, participation in worship life, practicing reconciliation. These are all communal practices that I want to hold us to to say this is how we become a people who celebrate the gospel. There's more to it again than that. And then lastly, maturing in the gospel. Um, I want it to become normative that at Res, the, some of the practices that we have in place are these classes. After the service, we're going to continue catechism. I want that to be like a normal thing we do. Why? Because it is a kind of it is a practice that creates us into a kind of people that are always maturing in Christ. It's a liturgy, right? And I want to take that on as our own. Um, mission and evangelism. Like I said to Ewing's wonderful question, we have a lot of growth to do as a church. Uh, we're a baby church. 
we're getting on our feet. We've got our hands in a few things, but I, and I even have some ideas for some stuff coming up, but I really need your help figuring out the ways that God has called you to evangelize, the giftings that you have, and the ways that God is calling our church to be on mission in the world for the sake of other people. That's something I think that's still taking shape in our church that I would love to um, hear from you all about. Um, we, even personally, uh, well, I won't talk about that. We'll get to personal in a second. Together, I want us to study scripture. If you bring your Bibles on Sunday during the sermon, great, you don't have to. Um, but that may be a way that as a community, we take on practices that deepen our appreciation of scripture. Um, disciple making and cultivating vocation. Again, um, just say real briefly about this. I want it to become normal that we understand as mature Christians, we make mature Christians. We make disciples. We're a disciple-making church, okay? And I also want it to be clear that um, if you have, if you are like a plumber, you have a Christian vocation, even in your plumbing, even, even in your, your profession, you have a vocation that God is calling you into as a Christian, and you've got to take on those practices and conduct yourself in such a way that's practicing your faith in a way that's actually going to change you into a follower of Jesus that's going to continue to influence you and form you in that way. So um, these are like the, the big areas of formation at Res, and we have classes that are focusing on each part of this. And as you might notice, though, between these circles, you have these really um, significant thresholds or milestones. When someone is welcomed into the life of the church, how do we celebrate that? Through baptism. They become a part of the member uh, of the celebrating church. And that as a baptized member of the church, we, we receive Holy Eucharist. And in this, in this giving of great God's grace through his son, we become the kinds of people who are maturing as disciples of Jesus and then go out into the world for the sake of others. This is like the natural progression as a community that I wanna see at Res is we welcome people, we celebrate really, really well, and we mature into Jesus' people and spend our lives for the sake of other people, for his glory as a community. Okay, uh, big categorical things going on there. Any questions about that before I move into looking specifically as individuals? How do we take on practices that change us? Any questions? Okay, good, cool. All right, um, so this next part is, I'm just gonna be walking us through the membership commitment. You can flip the page over and see the membership commitment on the right. And I want to just uh, walk us through this. Um, this, this is, uh, as if you become a member, this is what you're going to agree to. You're going to sign up for this, literally. Um, and so I just want to read through it together so that you guys, so we can work through it and understand it. Having put my trust in Christ alone, so you're a Christian, to be a member at Res, you got to be a Christian. Um, if you're not a Christian, Put your trust in Christ. Let's deal with that first. You're totally welcome here. We always want you to be here, but it is way more pressing. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you should become a follower of Jesus. Like you are, I, I mean, just by like association sometimes with us, you get caught up in following Jesus. You should make that decision for yourself. Having put my trust in Christ alone as my savior and Lord and being in agreement with the vision, life together in the goodness of God. I believe I've been led by God to join this church family. By God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power, I commit to the following. Again, you hear that language of discernment of calling, right? We want people um, to, to really go to God and say, is this the family you want me to belong to? And can I say, Christians have to have a family. It's not like, well, I just won't have a family then. I won't have a church family. Uh, you would be the first Christian to ever like, try to do that. No, many have tried. It doesn't work. There's actually no such thing as a private individual Christian. Think about it this way. When you say, I'm gonna be a Christian without a church family, you're stepping out of Christian orthodoxy. I mean, that's how serious it is. Um, and I don't mean to say that to just like pressure you into being a part of a church family. I'm saying there's something core and central about a church community that is just in keeping with what it means to follow Jesus. You have to do that with other people. Especially, and someone, I think it was Augustine who said, um, he says everything, right? When you don't know the quote, you just blame it on Augustine. It's, um, you can't have God as your father without the church as your mother. Really interesting. It's, there's it's something, something kind of along that. You need to belong to a church community. So why not belong at Res? All right, so uh, let's go through this together. With God's help, I will share in... Do you have a question, James? No, um, these pages need to just be swapped. I'll get to it right after this. Thanks for making sure I didn't miss anything. 
With God's help, I'll share in the life of resurrection by, the first one is living a, Christ, a public Christian life. Y'all know Romans 12, one and two, offering your bodies as living sacrifices. This isn't like a private matter. Uh, Christians, whether we like it or not, we exist in the real world publicly. And so we don't want to have privatized faith. I don't even know what that means to be honest with you because uh, to put your trust in Jesus and to go with him, he goes out into the world publicly. So if we're gonna follow him, we have to live lives publicly um, that follow Jesus. And this means also it's not okay for us to have like compartmentalized lives where we have our own spiritual life over here and that's private and keep that to yourself. But then at my work, I can act like a jerk because my work has nothing to do with my private Christian life. What I'm saying to you is members at Res don't agree with you. That's not how we do things here. And we want to invite you to have a, like a coherent life privately, publicly. We want to actually have integrity about the kinds, we want to really be these people in and out. We want to be the kinds of people who can offer themselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God in the whole of our life. Um, so the second one, actively participating in the mission, vision, and values of resurrection. Um, if you haven't read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, um, that's kind of like, I mean, we didn't vote on it, but can I just say this is like resurrection's theme verse? Good, I'm glad you guys agree. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From, through him, we have been uh, given a living hope, born again into a living hope. See, I should memorize this somewhere in here. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is, how's it go again, Stephen? We've been born into a living hope, everlasting, and uh, something kept in heaven free. How's it go? Wait, I think it's in here, actually. Sorry, Emery. I can look it up. Yeah, you should probably look it up in your Bible, James. Yeah, anybody got a Bible? Somebody Google it. Google it? Oh, man, I thought I put it on here. I should have. Well, it's actually anything. Um, there we go. Amen, man, that good. So, so this is why, to me, this is like Reza's theme verse, right? Um, when we say life together in the goodness of God, rooted sacred kingdom community, practicing our faith in a way that changes us and benefits others, um, what, we are, what we're describing, what we're seeing is our hope in the resurrection, that we have this inheritance for us, that we get to live accordingly now, even though this inheritance is in the future, it is even, even still being shared with us in the present. And we get to... This, when we, when we, could, we could talk about it biblically, but really what we're saying is that life that we have with God is for us now. This is the life together in the goodness of God. So we want to proceed now as we will in the future when we receive the fullness of this inheritance. The resurrection of the dead is for us now. So 1 Corinthians 15 is a great uh, passage. You should read the whole chapter. It's basically, if, you don't, if you're not sure of what is the gospel, there's a great chapter to go and read. Paul gives us the, the entire gospel in kind of narrative form, which is really helpful. And Colossians 1, that's a great Christological hymn. You should go read it. Um, I put these reference, I won't do this for all of these, but I put these references here because um, these, are the, these are the biblical references that really fill in our language when we say vision, mission, and values, those kind of things. So as a member of Res, I will share in the life of resurrection by actively participating in this vision, in this mission, in these values of resurrection. Um, thirdly, a members of Res uh, share in the life of resurrection by... Giving generously with biblical tithe as a standard of giving. Um, a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn so that collections need not be taken when I come. Paul's writing to the church. Um, which is a really peculiar and interesting verse that, that this kind of um, acts to sharing of generosity, giving to the laborers that are the ministers. Um, this was already in play. This is like normal for Christian churches and Christian communities. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you must give as you've made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't on Sunday go, oh man, I forgot. Ah, oh, I feel so bad. I should like give something. I would say don't give. Don't do it. Just wait. Pray. 
Give not out of compulsion. Don't give out of a last minute urgency, um, but actually discern. Say, God, what, what should I give to you? Last week, we mentioned this quote from John Wesley. The question isn't how much of our money should we give to God, but how much of God's money should we keep for ourselves? Interesting, the way the kingdom works. So we want to actually come into this thoughtfully, not, not out of guilt. If you're feeling like, dang it, Sean mentioned this at our membership thing. Oh, I should give. I would really invite you. Don't give out of guilt. We don't need your money out of guilt. We really don't. I'm not telling you this and I will never preach, God willing, from a place of like anxiety about we don't have enough money. God has plenty of money. And when the church is acting like itself, the church is always provided for. Michelle and I have lived through like really crazy financial situations, leaving our work at HP, um, going from nearly six figures to food stamps, going to seminaries, starting churches. We have, we've seen quite a bit of it. And with kids, you know, that like adds on top of that. And let me tell you again and again and again, we have, we've worried so much. We've worried in our past, but again and again, God always provides for us. He always does. And even when it was super hard for us to tithe 10% of our nothing income, we did it. And it was always our way of like defying our worry and even um, defying what the world says is like normative for the way you should spend your money. No, we're not gonna invest in our retirement. No, we're not gonna do these other things, have a Netflix. We're, just, we're gonna tithe first and then we'll figure out the rest later. That became kind of our posture. And again, if we wanna ask, what kinds of practices do the people of God take on to become a generous people? Fact of the matter is, um, our wallets have a grip on our hearts in America, especially. I'm sure other countries have this problem too. Um, but it can, be so, it can possess us so much in such ways that it actually creates fearful people and not a generous people. And so a really a wonderful way of, of subverting that is to ask, invite God into your money to have your wallet converted and say, God, how much of your money should I keep for myself? And to trust him in that act of worship. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. Hey, uh, it should be... Yeah, 1 Corinthians 6, 16, 2, verse 2. Space, 2 Corinthians. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and lastly, uh, Matthew 23, verse 23. This is Jesus. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. People stop there and go, see, you got a tithe? Justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced. Now listen, without neglecting the others. So folks, we don't want to just be um, check writers. We also want to practice justice and mercy and faith. We want to be generous all the way around. It's not, we, I mean, money is a big deal. We, I think we tend to conveniently um, fool ourselves into thinking, well, God doesn't really care about money and I can be generous in other ways. I can serve, I can open my house and you can, that's wonderful. But I would be really, really suspicious if all of that is some sort of uh, um, narrative in your head to convince you that you really don't wanna give up your money. And I'd be really suspicious of that. Look at that. Why, why am I trying to protect my money so much? What's up with that? Invite God into that, pray about it and ask for his leading. So all this to say, and listen, this is such a delicate thing to try and walk because this is so touchy for, for us. I get it. Um, but I, here's what I, we're trying to say on paper here. Members at Res, we're generous. And we wanna, we wanna take on practices that make us generous. You may not be totally generous. You may not have uh, the bandwidth in your budget right now to tithe 10% to the church. That's okay. Start with something. I'd say commit to something and give that regularly. Pray about it and be patient. Allow, invite God into your money. Have him transform you and your thoughts about your money. Pick a percentage, make it the first thing you give away, your, the priority, and, um, and continue to grow. Make it progressive. Once you get to 10%, you don't get to just check out. It's not, that's not the way it works. Um, we can continue to grow. But the tithe is just this way that the church looks back historically and goes, okay, there's a precedent for a substantial amount of our money and 10% represents that amount. So we don't need to argue over the 10% because I think we'd miss the point. 
God's trying to uh, invite us into generosity even with the thing that tends to possess our heart the most. So do you all hear me on that? I know that's a touchy one. Um, if you have, if you have a, a problem with or a question about any of that, I'm, I'm so approachable about this. Come talk to me. Um, I, wanna, I wanna walk this really humbly and carefully and I get that this is, a, a, this is like a, a very difficult thing. So I, I understand that. But I wanna invite you to it. Any questions about that before we move on? All right. Following godly leadership. As a, uh, with God's help, I will share in the life of Rez by following godly leadership, submitting to their care and correction. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with sighing. For, what would be, for that would be harmful to you. I think um, the hard thing to do in becoming a member to submit to someone else or especially to submit to authorities or leaders is I think what that has more to do with oftentimes is that people have been abused by leaders. Um, power has been used abusively on their, in their life. And so like, obviously you're, you're gonna have a hard time to submitting to you know, this kid or some, your Father Perry or one of, one of the clergy. Um, but can we, can we tell you that the flip side of this commitment to submitting to godly leadership is that your leadership um, will, will in turn submit to this church. So we, another way to say this, we have, Father Perry, when we, when we call our church to submit to our spiritual leadership, we're not doing something that we're not doing. We're not calling you to do something that we're not doing. Um, Father Perry and I, and soon John, God willing, are the only people in this room who have laid on their face before the church in submission to the bishop and signed a document saying we will submit to the bishop. It's a really wonderful and godly thing. It's what Christians do. So we wanna invite you into that same gift of having spiritual oversight, care, pastoral care, leadership. And the flip side of this is we promise to not abuse this power and not to lord it over you as the Gentiles do, but to actually use it to serve you for your good, for your own godliness. Um, and when we mess up and we will mess up, we promise to make things right with you. You hear me? Like we, Father Perry and I, we're gonna, we're gonna screw this up a few times, right? We already have. I mean, I have. Uh, and so you guys gotta, you gotta cut us some slack. It's like really frightening, to be honest, to lead um, a church, you know, uh, and to try and figure out how to do it well with wisdom you just don't have. You end up praying a lot, you know? Um, but if you can cut us some slack, if you can come to us when we've offended you and we've abused our leadership, we, we wanna hear from you. We wanna make it right. So we wanna create a safe, a safe space for all of you to joyfully submit yourselves to godly leadership. Just, does that sound good to you guys? Sound all right? Any questions about that, Drew? Question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't give care without correction. Like they come at the same in the same way. Yeah. And so many people are like, I don't want the correction. Mm-hmm. You don't get the care. I'm like, oh, I, I need some correction in my life. Well, there's gotta be some care that comes along with it at the same time. Right. And correction done well is done out of care, right? And not out of uh, abuse. I'm like, we love our children. We we don't want them to run out in the traffic. Uh, and so sometimes our correction with them may, may seem stark, but it comes out of a genuine care for their life. Like sometimes it's gonna look pretty harsh. Like, wow, Father Sean just like laid down a line for me. I'm doing that because I really love you. And I think it's worth, this is one of those battles worth fighting. If I do that, it's because it's worth fighting. Um, most everything else is, I mean, pray for me and Father Perry, but we want to correct you guys with a great deal of care, with a great deal of humility. Um, and not because you disagree with us or because you didn't do it our way or something like that. Um, we want the motivating factor behind our leadership to be um, spurring you on to union with Jesus. We want you to have that kind of life with him. So if you're beating your wife, there's gonna be a hard line. I'm gonna come after you and probably bring some dudes, okay? For instance, correction. And we, and we need to, why? Not because we hate this person, but because we care for him and we care for his wife, and we care for his children, and we're not, that's not the kingdom of God. And so we're gonna make that really clear that what you're doing is not the kingdom of God. You've gotta pick a side. What's your side gonna be? For, I got you, me and you, Abel, come at you. No, come on, James. 
No, yeah, no, okay. Legitimate point. I don't know if like just somebody, I have a friend, I have a friend. All right, moving on. I think you guys get the point. Okay, um, as a member of Res, I will share in the life of Res by participating in weekly worship gatherings and receiving Holy Eucharist. Um, check out those, those passages. I think that's what we're saying here, guys, is it's good for us to gather with one another. Let's make that like normative. Um, there is a trend where it's like, you've shown up to church if you've been like twice a month. Can we just make Sunday a thing that's like important to us? I know this is really, really tough because stuff comes up on Sunday. But can I, and I don't have a, a total answer to this, but can I just throw this out there? I mean, throw this out there. Kind of like tithing, we give it first. What if we gave God our time first? What if we set aside the eighth day, the first day of the new creation, the Lord's day as actually his day? What if we, what if we I'm, and I get like you're sick or you got something going on every once in a while. I'm not, we don't need to be legalistic about it. But coming from the other side, out of gratitude, not out of legalism, what if we really decided, you know what? I'm sorry, guys, I can't do that. That's the Lord's, I go to worship, and I, that's what we do. Can you imagine the kind of witness that even just that simple storytelling would do to your non-believing friends who go about, Sunday is just, you know, another day, another day for this or that. Gather with us, make an intention to do that with us. That's what res members do. Um, and receiving Holy Eucharist, it's really important that you receive the grace of God. Um, this is not only an act of, of uh, the fact that we're one and we're community made through Christ, but it actually, you miss a particular grace when you don't come to the altar, when you don't receive. There's a special grace given through the sacraments. This is the church's teaching, has been for a very long time, and you miss it. So make a, make a point to be with us and to receive Holy Eucharist. And I also say, um, it's not always actually about you. It's really encouraging for other people who you may be sitting next to that you're there with them. So it's not just about what's inconvenient to you or what's, what you like to do or not. Uh, we need each other. So let's worship together. All right, next, uh, growing in godliness through prayer, study of scriptures and fellowship. Um, um, the Anglican tradition, and we'll talk about this in a, in a class coming up, has some really good resources for growing in prayer, the daily office, ways of, even if, like I know, like my wife with a zillion kids running around, it's really, how do you pray, you know? in a situation like that. Um, the Anglican tradition, the Christian tradition has really wonderful ways to inhabit prayer, um, kind of where you're at, wherever you need to be. And we'll talk about that. But it's so important that we have that, that intimacy with God in prayer. We wanna make that a normal rhythm. Study of scriptures. Um, if you don't have a Bible, can our, another membership gift to us be that we give you a Bible? We have a bunch of them. You need a Bible. Um, it, and it's so important that you um, open that thing up not to look for something to tell somebody else, but that you open it up for yourself. This is hard for me because I'm like preaching all the time. I'm like, ooh, that'd be good. Um, but I've got to actually read scripture for my own nourishment and fall in love with Jesus as I see who he is through the storytelling in scripture. So we wanna be consistent in prayer, study of scriptures, and in getting together. I don't have to tell you guys that. You can't, I can't pry you away from each other. Fellowship is good. Be a part of a table group. Okay. Um, and then next, after that, that's sharing in the life of resurrection. And then we've kind of divided this up to help us uh, um, understand just a different aspect of what it means to be a member by participating in its mission. And there's a few bullets here. Praying for its growth, its health, its people, its leaders. Would you, hey, would you all pray for your leaders? Would you pray for Father Perry and I? I would really love it if you'd pray for us. We need that. So please pray for us. Pray for each other. Pray for this church. Pray that it continues to have impact and grow and that people are welcomed to the Lord's table. People come to know Jesus. Pray for conversion. Pray for growth. Pray for health. Um, another thing is actively serving on teams or ministries at Resurrection. Um, I could get John Tucker up here and just give you the pitch for it. Um, but, and, and we're not gonna guilt you in any of this. But we, what we wanna say with this is, if you're a part of Res, would you make it your home and not be that, you know, deadbeat sitting on the couch while everyone else is making meals. But like, pitch in, jump in. If we walked into somebody's house and the wife's going crazy in the kitchen and the dad's checked out on the couch for the entire time and then, you know, well, when's dinner ready, you know? Um, can I eat here and watch TV? That, we would say, what, who's this dude? Like, we need to like, this guy needs to get on board with some of this. Uh, we don't wanna be those, we don't wanna be those deadbeats 
those people just slouching on the couch at res. If this is our home, let's pitch in. Let's make it our home. Let's serve together. So there's the guilt side of it. If I can say that. <laughs> it's true though. But the good side of it is this. Um, what's super interesting about serving, especially in the kingdom, is as you give, you are given. And when you serve, like we we're talking about Mother Teresa, you're not just on a setup team, setting up chairs. You, you are actually like doing service unto the Lord. This is part of your act of worship as a Christian. You're not doing it so that Sean says, good job, buddy. You're, I mean, I'll do that. I'll, I'll give you props. I'm happy that you're, I'm so grateful for the way that people serve. But we're doing this out of a love of Jesus. And if you're not sure, if you don't love Jesus like that, then try serving and see what happens and say, Lord, make me aware that this act of service for my brothers and sisters is an act of service for you. This is a practice that changes us and benefits other people. This is a perfect example, setting up chairs. All right, um, yes, sir. I think it's important also to say, we're not interested in you serving for serving's sake. Mm, thank you. we ask those who ask to serve is what do you love to do? We're interested in you serving in the ways that you are gifted and talented and find joy. Yes, thank you so much, John. This is like really critical. We talk about this as staff all the time and they remind me. We don't need to fit people into roles. Uh, we, wanna, we are given these images of God, these people. We wanna ask them, how is God working in your life? What do you love to do? How can we do that with you? Is there a pl- like, no joke, here's an example. Sean, I, I can't serve. There's nothing I wanna, there's nothing I can do to offer the church. I'm like, well, person, I'm serious this actually happened. What do you love to do? Oh, I love to read scripture out loud. I'm like, hey, you know, you should, we have a team for that. You should read scriptures on Sunday. How awesome would that be? And they, the person said, that kind of lit up, like, really? I could do that? I'm like, yeah, you could do that. So uh, we want people to operate in their gifts and their, their passions and their loves and, and offer their gifts for the sake of other people in our church. Thank you, John. Super critical. Um, thirdly, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. We mentioned that today in the service. Um, this, this is uh, what it means to be a participant in the mission of Res. this very thing, ripped out of Micah 6.8. Man, that means so much right now. And I think, honestly, folks, this will continue to mean a lot as we grow as a community. And as at this rate, like the way things are going in the world, like this will mean more and more for us. We want, and I think what's so key about justice and loving mercy is walking humbly with God first and foremost, like for us, what a big deal. Okay, and then lastly, pursuing godly relationships and reconciling with others. We talked a little bit about this last week, um, not triangulating messages, not um, talking behind people's back, um, but actually pursuing real, and if you weren't here last week, go listen to this recording because it's really important. Um, kind of those like family dynamics that we wanna create here at Res is something really, really healthy. And some of you may not be used to it. You may have no idea what a healthy family looks like. And I get that. Let us teach you. Go listen to that recording. Come talk to me. Um, we want to encourage you guys to have godly relationships with one another. Okay, so these are the commitments. Now, this is, I want you to hear this really clear. When you sign on as a member at Res, you're not saying that you are this person. This, the reason we we phrase it this way, with God's help, by God's mercy, this is what we're going to aspire to become as a people, okay? If I ever come to you and say, hey, you're a member at Res, I'm just seeing this one part of your life that doesn't quite add up. Can we talk about it? It's never going to be out of some sort of like guilty, crushing, abusive kind of power thing. Not at all. If I come to you about something that's on a resurrection membership commitment and say, hey, will you talk to me about what's going on here? It's out of a, a genuine care for you. And it may not be the thing that I'm seeing, the thing that's presenting. Oftentimes um, people are exhibiting these symptoms and it, the, the problem has something to do with something totally else, something, something totally different. So if I come to and approach you, can I at least just have permission to come and start a conversation with you? Our pastors, our leaders, we wanna begin that conversation. We wanna see what's going on. And if it's just as simple as like, well, I just, you know, slacking. We'll be like, hey man, how can we help you? Um, But if it's something else much deeper than that, we wanna know about that too so we can help you and encourage you. But this is the commitment that we wanna make as as we aspire to be members at Res. Um, And can you imagine a whole community that is living in that commitment. I think it'd be really beautiful. I think it'd be a really wonderful gift to our neighborhood and to each other. So that's that. Okay, before I jump on to next steps, does anyone have any questions about any of that? Anybody disagree or have any pushback? 
come on. I know you do, but it's okay. I won't push. There we go, Drew. I'm just going to ask you, well, what do you think, Drew? So get ready. Um, I guess the question, maybe ask the opposite side of what's the danger of this? What's mm. dangerous about committing to this? What do we need to watch out for in ourselves? And then also, like, how has in history maybe it turned out really bad? Yeah, I think the danger in this is that um, you threaten growing in Christ. Like you, you risk actually growing in Christ. That's the danger. And I, I say that half jokingly, but seriously, um, following Jesus is not easy. And it costs us. Um, and sometimes that means we can suffer because of it. Hopefully not because, and what I don't mean is we're going to suffer at each other's hands because we're being really mean to each other. I mean, following Jesus is, involves crosses and difficult things. So I think it, that's like a genuine danger to this. If you commit to following Jesus, you're committing to following him uh, wherever he goes. And, um, but we got each other for it. The ways that this has been abused in the past, man, pick a bullet. Everything's been abused in the past. Um, and yet we, we, want to, we want to continue to press on as the church with a hope that this isn't us that's, I mean, guys, it's super, it's, it's a miracle that the church still exists given the, giving its members, given its members, if you think about it. It's incredible that the church is still a thing given the human beings that have been a part of it over history. And we add to that complexity and that challenge. Um, but the fact that the church persists and still exists, I think is a witness to the gospel, that the spirit of God has actually birthed this real presence of Christ's body on the earth. And guess what? Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And so we get, we're invited to actually inhabit the reality of the gospel in a, in a living community that is gonna make mistakes and is gonna need to make things right. And I think that's our hope. I don't think we can have an expectation of one another that we're gonna do everything right or everything's gonna be perfect. Listen, we're gonna mess things up with each other. I'm gonna mess things up with you. The hope that I have isn't that we're doing everything perfect. The hope that I have is that we can make things right in light of the gospel. We have a hope that we can always make things right. Does that make sense? So Drew, even if we like butcher this sideways, we still wanna claim that hope that we can actually make this right. We can be forgiven. We can be reconciled. We can move forward. Is that fair enough or is that a dodge? I hope that's not feel like a dodge. Kelsey. Okay, yeah, totally. I, I get together. And at the same time, I'll say, um, being a part of a church like this, you're entering into the largest communion and relationship with churches globally ever. Like you have more connectivity too. So, so uh, to say we have this certain way of liturgy, a certain way we do things, isn't to exclude us or cut us off from churches locally in the neighborhood. I get together once a month with all my pastor buddies here in South Austin. I love these guys. We're all like homies, okay? And they know I'm the token weird priest and we do the things weird and that's fine, but they love me. Um, so there is that connectivity even among pastors. Like if people come in here bad-mouthing another pastor in town, I get to say, that's my buddy. Uh, you don't get to do that here. Go make it right. Uh, but like same team, dude, you can't do that. Um, so I would encourage you all as well to have those kind of relationships with friends. You don't have to do it our way. We're not even saying we're doing it the, the, the right way or something. Um, this is just the way that God has, we, we've discerned like this is a really good way of inhabiting the Christian life together. Um, so we want to hold that real humbly, right? And I hear that loud and clear from you, Kelsey. Excommunication. Yes. Is that a piece of this? And what would it look like? Yeah, it is. Um, why would we excommunicate someone? Um, let's, I don't know what example I could give, but basically all excommunication really is, and we'll get into this in catechism. You guys should come. It's going to be so much fun. We get to talk about stuff like this. Um, excommunication is, is actually a grace to show someone the reality of the decisions that they're making to like help them not be confused about where they stand. Um, if someone is doing something that is 
like serially unrepentant and just really blatantly against uh, the godly leadership that's been instructing them, then what we do is we say, you are acting out of communion with Christ's body. We're gonna show you what you're doing and you're not allowed to receive Holy Communion until you make things right. Um, you would be receiving in an unworthy manner, in fact, in a lot of ways. So we don't do it as, again, a power play, but as actually a grace to say, hey, if, if you're committing this thing again and again and again, we're, we, need to, we need to do some work. And it's gonna be a ministry to you to show you uh, what you're doing to yourself and to this body. And can I say, if you sin, if you do harm to one another, if, if you do something that's a private sin in your own life, whatever you do to yourself, you're doing to this whole body. And so corporately, that's one of the ways we, we show this reality is, um, and, and help reiterate with, this, with folks, is that your private sins are not your private sins. This, this does violence to the whole body of Christ because we're all made living members. We belong to one another. So um, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. But that's what excommun- we'll, we'll talk more about that in the, in the catechism. Did you have a question? like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Perry. Thank you, Father Perry. Hey, and I, I agree. It's true. We have tough conversations all the time, and I get a lot of wisdom and correction from Father Perry. I'm grateful for him. He's a mentor in my life, um, and I, I trust him with everything as well. I hope you guys can just take our word for it. It's hard to convince people, but it's true. All right, so, um, yes, Michelle, no? You have a question? Yes, if you're a member of this church, um, the ideal is that you're also confirmed and that's what makes you a member of the, well, confirmation is kind of two birds, one stone. Uh, A celebration of Christian maturity, but it's also a membership into the Anglican tradition. You're part of the Anglican communion at that point. Um, So ideally, and I know not everybody's confirmed, that's why we're going through catechesis. Um, Ideally, members are confirmed eventually and are members of this body, members of the Anglican communion worldwide as well. So next steps. So we've had these two classes. Um, what do we do tomorrow? What do we do this afternoon? I, I wanna invite you guys to pray. Seriously, go home and ask God, is, is your call, your invitation to me to belong part of the, be a part of this church? If you have questions that come up or concerns that you have, you like, I need to pray about this, but I just need this question answered, please email me or call me or get a hold of me. Um, I'm happy to answer those questions and help your discernment process. Um, would you all let me know about your decision uh, by uh, October 29th. There's a date there for you. Confirm that with me somehow. Email me, please. Um, 
You can let me know by October 29th after you pray for a while. And then we're going to be commissioned on All Saints Sunday, which is November 5th. Okay, so discern, and that's the process of confirming and actually celebrating. If you're unable to be here for that confirmation Sunday, you can still be a member. It's just kind of a celebration. Uh, you, can, you can still be a part of membership. Uh, but I, I just need to know, and what I really want to do with you all, I don't want it just to be a checkbox. I, I, I really want you to discern, and I want you to share that discernment with me and let me know, um, hey, I think, I think we're going to be, uh, we want to be members at Res. so please let me know. Some ways that as a member, once you've been commissioned or even maybe before, you can cheat, start acting like a member before you're a member, is uh, ways you participate. Get into a table group. If you're not into a table group, jump in. Help start one. Find one. Help serve in one. Um, adult formation. Join us for the classes that begin next week. This is going to be so much fun. What is the gospel? Oh, man, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, for me, it's going to be fun. Retreat. Um, come to the retreat on November 10th through the 12th. This is like a main staple of res culture. Super fun, you should come. And serve, find a team that you can plug in and serve on. Give, um, pick something, just start with something. Say, I'm gonna give this consistently. And there's a bunch of ways you can give online, in the plate, on Sunday. You can now text, you can do all kinds of things. All that information's on the back. Um, And then make sure you ask lots of questions as you guys discern these next steps. And if any of those things you need help getting plugged into, um, feel free to reach out to us and let us know. Okay. Any last questions before we finish up. Any thoughts? Did I miss anything gigantic? I hope not. Okay. All right, let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for the gift of belonging. Once we were your enemies, we worked against your good works, even though we didn't know it sometimes. uh, You have brought us, though, through your son into the fold of your own community, this household of God. God, help us to take care of your house. Help us to take care of these sacred bodies that you've placed in this house, each other. God, help us to tend to this neighborhood that you've placed your house among. And Lord, in all of the things that we do, all the activities that we practice, we pray that would you make us the kinds of people who can demonstrate and embody and announce your kingdom. We pray in the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.